0: you would please open up your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and we're going to be picking back up where we left off last week and it's just a little light-hearted conversation today. So as uh, the topic is kind of a, one of those uh, key topics that so many like to talk about and we will find out why. Because it will bring great comfort to those who believe. It will bring great encouragement to those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, for those of you who do not put their trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation, this will not bring encouragement and comfort to you. This will bring, probably, fear into your heart. So just hang with me here, okay? Just just go through it, let God minister to your heart as he wants to minister your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, and allow him to speak to us. So let us, Lord Father, come to you, and we let us, uh, as we worship you in song, may that have prepared our ears to be wide open to hear from what your word has to say to us today. That our hearts are so soft right now, so appliable, that you as the potter can have a way with us and to mold and shape our, our hearts and change it in a way that is, will glorify you and to be a vessel used by you. So we ask you, uh, Holy Spirit, to speak to us through your word, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, read along or follow along with me as I read, we're going to take verses 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we, or since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus." For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from the from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain still, uh, remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. As we take a look at these few verses in the very short few minutes that we have together, we need to understand a very important topic because it's one of those topics that um, many people are wondering about or have need clarity on. And it happens to be, it's one of the topics of the top three, as I would say, or even the top five topics that Satan loves to use to divide and conquer brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so with the reading of the word simply and teaching us simply, I pray that today you will have clarity, if there is needing to be clarity, on what God says about the rapture or Christ's coming back for the church uh, in these end-to-end days. Now, as we looked at last week, we saw in chapter 4, chapter 4 is all about the Christian life, and we talked about how important in our Christian life, pleasing Being pleasing to God in all the things that we say and do. That we have this moral purity that we've been set apart from the uh, the world to live for Christ. Being set apart. Moral purity. Also we saw maturing personally. That we as believers are to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ as a believer, and those are two key important things for you and I as a Christian as we continue to be on this earth until the Lord takes us home, that we need to live this set-apart life from the world and live for Christ, that morally pure. But we also need to mature personally and not to be one of those Christians that says, I gave my life to Jesus Christ back in 1976, you know. But when you listen and watch and hear and watch and understand their story, they have not matured. Why? Because they do not read the word of God. They're not in a fellowship where they're being taught the word of God. And there's no expectation that they have to live the word of God and be obedient to the word of God. So these things are is a, is a trick of the enemy that says, oh, you've got fire insurance. Great. Now continue to live however you want to live. And I'm here to tell you, as you know, if you've been hanging with me here, that is no Gouda. That has to change. You must be obedient to the word of God and live out the word of God as he leads you. And he reveals these truths to you by the power of his spirit. Titus 2, chapter, or verse 11 through 15. For the grace of God that brings salvation has a- appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Those are powerful, powerful verses. If you haven't gone back and haven't read those uh, in your daily devotions, I would encourage you to go back and meditate on Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. It is incredible to uh, allow the God to uh, have that absorbed or partaking. Uh, of that meal today I this later this afternoon I would uh, recommend that in the last part of this letter that we will see Paul listened to the concerns that were raised up by Timothy young Timothy who was coming back from visiting Thessalonica the believers there and as he comes back with the word of what is going on with the believers in that church Paul here writes these letters 1st and 2nd Thessalonians to address some of those concerns of those believers. And the topic today on the rapture or the coming of Christ for his church and what happened to all of their loved ones, all their relatives, their friends, and all those who have already died prior to Christ and all his coming. What happened to them? Are we going to see them again? Will they know us at, 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 the, at that point in time when we do come? And Is it going to happen at once? Is its is it that they're there and we're not... All these kinds of questions kind of come up when you talk about what will happen once we leave this earth and, and uh, meet Christ in the cloud. So here Paul is going to address one of those questions because as a new group of believers, a new church that's starting up, they had these concerns. Will all their loved ones who had, been die, who had died under that Roman persecutions that were going on, will they have missed the big event? Will they miss out because they've already died? Will they miss the big event of the rapture? Will they miss the res- resurrection of the dead? I mean, these things are important for people who are living today. What happened to their loved ones or friends? And we will see out of our Christian life brings a comfort to you and to others in light of the topic, the rapture of the church or the resurrection of the dead. And it could will, will and has and should continue to be our hope as a believer in the fact that Christ is coming back soon and very soon. Now, as we take a look here in these verses, verse 13 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, it says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. So Paul starts off here, and actually in his letters it's a classic kind of little a statement that he makes in the fact that he doesn't want you to be ignorant about certain things. Now prior to 1 Thessalonians, we see that he makes these comments of don't be ignorant about God's plan for Israel. We see that in Romans chapter 11 verse 25. If Paul is if the Holy Spirit's given Paul to write that, don't you think we should not be ignorant about what God's plan is for Israel? We should be very aware and watching what God is doing with Israel. Second one, is he sees in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts. So if God is saying in his word, we should not be ignorant about spiritual gifts, we shouldn't be ignorant about spiritual gifts today. Right? We should know these things. This should not be, oh, I don't know what that is. I don't even want to talk about it. We're not to be ignorant. We should know what the scripture says. Not but by the best-selling author out there. Not by some pastor or reverend or whoever wants to talk, But what does the word of God says? You and I should not be ignorant about those things. That's what Paul says there. He also says in 2 Corinthians 1.8, don't be ignorant about suffering and trials in the Christian life. Why? Because like God's plan for Israel, like the spiritual gifts, like about suffering and trials as as a Christian, these are three things that I see constantly being used by Satan to divide and conquer the people. To cause confusion of you. Like some teachings and heresies out there that says you should be wealthy and healthy and wise. and And if you're really in the faith, you will never get sick. That's false teaching. So we should not be ignorant about suffering and trials in the Christian life because God uses those as we studied in 2 Corinthians and we studied in the first part of Thessalonians. God uses those trials and tribulations to refine you, to help you grow and mature and change. A little heat to get you to move because you're not willing to change by that subtle, simple, subtle, soft voice that you're not listening to. He'll, get your, he'll rattle you. And then today, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, we're not to be ignorant about the rapture and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he continues here in verse 13. He says, concerning those who have fallen asleep, asleep, you would think, oh, they're having a snooze. Oh, That's nice. Some, of us, some people are very good at taking naps. And then some of us, no, now, he's not talking about sleep. He's talking in the term they use there about death. There are some who have fallen that uh, have fallen and are now dead and you're no longer with you. I understand that as a concern for you, but let me talk in, in about that concern that you're having, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Because if you have no hope in Jesus Christ's return, if you have no hope for eternal salvation, then you, as a non believer living in this life, you are going to be in constant fear of death and what is going to happen because you have no hope. You think, like the enemy is taught in a lot of society and the world's taught, there is nothing after this. You just fall asleep. I saw it in the scripture. He, Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 13. They've fallen asleep. Well, if you know the original language, sleep means it's a term they use as being they're dead. They're not snoozing. <laughs> that would be ultimate deep sleep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, it, it truly is very deep. You're dead, Right? But just, just think about this. Paul, in just a few weeks, he was with the Thessalonians there and sharing the gospel and talking about all these things. He emphasized the soon return of Jesus Christ. He was telling them at that time, at that point, yes, you need to know Jesus because he's coming back soon. And it's still the same message for you and I today. You need to know Jesus because he's coming back soon. And the Thessalonians believed it earnestly. And they understood that this poor were, okay, I understand that God, Jesus is coming back for us. This is exciting, Paul. You're excited about it. We're excited about it. But what about those who are our friends and neighbors and all the people we know who have already died? But after Paul left there because he was forced to leave... They had to, these Christians started to wonder who died before Christ would come back, what would happen to them, and were we going to see them again? How is this all going to play out? Are they going to miss the big victory and the blessing of Jesus is coming? The word "sleep" here is certainly a common word that was used and picked up that Christians picked up to emphasize the idea of rest. And early Christians began to call their burial places cemeteries, which means dormitories in the language, or sleeping places. And that's where we get our word cemetery from. Yet the Bible never describes the death of an unbeliever as sleep. Nowhere in the scripture. It's never for a non-believer a place of rest. Because there is no rest, there is no peace, and there is no comfort for them in death because they do not have eternal promise of being with God for eternity. So it's false for you and for me to look at a non-believer who says, I want nothing to do with God and never live for God, and then tell them after, at, at a funeral that they are resting and they're at peace. Because they're not. They're in great turmoil and great pain and suffering because there will be absent of God. Only you and I, as a believer who trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, has that promise of peace and rest when we die. Do you have that? Do you understand that? That's not negotiable, right? These are, that's, it's black and white kind of clarity here for you. Now, Paul uses this expression in a common day expression here about death as sleep, but it does not prove the false and wrong teaching of soul sleep. That the present dead in Christ are in a state of suspended animation or that they're awaiting for a resurrection to consciousness. The word sleep is referencing here the body is in the earth and the body is waiting for it to be resurrected and changed into the glorious body and reunited with your soul. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 35 through 57. And especially 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 through 9. So he says here, those who are in Christ, those who are born again believers, you have tremendous hope, tremendous comfort coming your direction because of the knowing what's going to happen with you without a doubt. And that your body, your soul and your spirit will be separated from your body. And that that body will be in waiting to reunite with your soul in due time. And we'll continue to talk about that here as we look at this. But also the fact that as a believer, he says, lest you sorrow as others have who have no hope. We sorrow for the loss of our loved ones who die before us. We don't sorrow for the individual. We sorrow personally because we have now have a void or a loss in our life because that the person we love, the person we knew, is no longer there. But we don't sorrow for the one who has died who's a believer because they have not died. They just moved. They have a homecoming. They've gone home. So we're supposed to be celebrating their life because we want to be where they they are as a believer. So going to sleep or to die is not to die for us because we are going to be alive, absent from the body. It would be in the presence of the Lord. And for this reason, Christians should not sorrow as others who have no hope when their loved ones is in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-5 said, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, internal in the heavens, for if, if for in this, we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. boy, I've, the work days. I'm, I've been groaning with the, the back and stuff. You know how we groan when we get older. You know. We're not going to be groaning when we're in heaven with the new body. I'm excited by this. If indeed having, I, thank you, because would, I would hope you would be excited. Maybe all of you are all fit and, you know, trim and, you know, you've got all your exercise going. You never aches and pains, but, you know, some of us hurt. And anyway, and back to, back to the, the verses here. In verse 3, and in, indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked, praise the Lord. Uh, For we who are in this tent grown and being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Even James 4, verse 14 says, Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what what is your life? It is is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Our hope, my brothers and sisters, is purely, clearly in the eternal life in Jesus Christ. That is our hope. It's not what this world has to offer, I assure you. Because if you put your hope in things of this world, you are very, very, um, I would just say unhappy people. Because things are just devo- dissolving and falling apart all around you. Everything you trusted is coming unglued. And you're going to be faced, for those who do not know Christ, you'll be faced with one question. Who is Jesus Christ to you? And he is your only hope. So put your hope in him, in him alone. Now, there's understand something. There's two types of death. The first is a physical death, and we see this here in 1 Thessalonians 5. We also see it in 2 Corinthians 5. But death of the body is the separation of the soul, spirit, and body, because you're made up of three parts. The, the, The body is the physical part of you. The soul is your mind or consciousness, the ability to think and reason. That is part of you. And the third part is the spirit. The spirit is God-given spirit when you become a believer. You are given the Holy Spirit. And that spirit makes our spirit alive for God. Prior to becoming a believer, your spirit was dead. Actually, your spirit in your old nature was a spirit of disobedience, the Bible says. Your earth had a spirit of disobedience that ruled or was so completely suppressed, your body actually ruled your soul. It ruled your mind, your consciousness, your thinking, and your reasoning, because your body was in control over the soul, and your spirit was dead. It was just a pure disobedience. But when you got saved, everything changed. Everything got flipped upside Into its right order. And that means that you live by the spirit. And not by the flesh anymore. And that the spirit. The Holy Spirit rules your mind. And how you think. And how you reason. And how you live. And then that soul then has the ability to control. And bring under control. Self control. The fruit of the spirit. The physical which is the body. Are you tracking with me? So that happens at death. That separates. Your soul and your spirit leaves this body. This body goes into the ground. That's the second type of death. The spiritual death. That separation of the soul and spirit to God and the body left behind. And when we die, if we have not been saved, if we have not put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you die, you will be spiritually separated from God for eternity. Because why? Because God is in heaven. And someone who has not been made righteous or pure will not be able to go to heaven. But the good news is for you and I at being born again, the moment we die, we have the promise of our soul and spirit to be with God in heaven, together with God for eternity in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5 we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, period. We see in Psalm 4:8 that we also receive peace. As a believer, you will have peace that's beyond your own understanding. And Psalm 4, 8 says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. There's only safety in Christ. Apart from Christ, you are not safe. So we should look at death the same way those early Christians looked at it. That we must have this relationship with Christ to have this peace, to have this certainty of what will happen to us eternally. Sadly, not all Christians are at this place of confidence and at this place of peace and at this place of, of, of understanding that will bring them as a Christian to a point of comfort and encouragement. And I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, if you're not there comforted by these words of the scripture and are not encouraged of what is going to happen to you eternally i encourage you to keep showing up regardless how you feel and keep reading the word of god and keep being around brothers and sisters who are strong and who are mature in the faith that's why in the beginning of chapter four he says you and i must continue to grow and mature in our faith of understanding because as you do, peace will fill your life. Joy will fill your life. And this encouragement of what is happening in this life today and in eternity will absolutely overwhelm you uh, with encouragement. Philippians 1.23 For I am hard-pressed between the two. <laughs> so true. Having the de- a desire to depart, take me home, I'm ready to go to heaven. And being with Christ, which is far better. You know, that struggle, I, I just want to go to heaven, I want to be with Christ, but at the same time, I know I'm, I'm here, and I need to do what God's called me to do here. It's always a struggle. It should be. Because this is not our home. Heaven's our home. <laughs> so I, when this is a vacation gone bad, you're ready to go home, man. Don't tell me the flame's not coming. You know, there's a storm, and everything's grounded. I'm ready to go home. You and I, as we have this Christian life, and it reflects this Christian life in our walk, in our daily walk, it must also reflect in our life our understanding of the rapture with our hope in Christ's coming and the rapture of the church, the resurrection of the dead. For we will be in heaven with Jesus Christ. Now verse 14 and 15 says, for if we believe, or in the original language it can read, since we believe, because he's talking to believers, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep, who are dead, in Christ. Meaning sleep in Christ means dead if they were believers before they died. Verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord. Notice that in the scripture. It didn't say by Paul's opinion. This is not Paul's opinion. This is actually from the Lord. How did Paul get that from the Lord? We don't know. We don't know if it was a direct revelation he spoke to Paul showed that or how the, the Spirit of God revealed that to him. All we know is that it did not come from Paul and his kind of a, thinking and rationalization and opinion no the what he's telling you and I and told him to these believers is from the Lord directly I should understand something very clearly and you and I are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep so we see here we have more than this wishful hope of the resurrection It's the resurrection of Jesus we have as an amazing example of it and a promise of our own. We can hold on to this because why? Because we know this is from the Lord. That Jesus died and rose again. We know this for truth and for fact and we believe it. And Paul wrote this about these death of believers who are asleep or dead. But in his description note in the scriptures... That here we see them talking about these believers are in sleep or died. When it comes to the description in the the scriptures about Jesus' death, you'll notice when you read that accounts, he never calls it sleep. Why? Because Jesus' death was nothing but sleep. It was absolutely terrifying and absolutely devastating to Jesus' And, uh, and so it, you don't see in the scripture talking about this soft way of saying death. Because his crucifixion for your life was nothing but traumatic. And so we put this confidence, this belief as a Christian that we will live because Jesus lives and our union with him is stronger than death. We sing, we, we praise and worship God in our uh, worship today of the fact that he has victory over death. And as a child of God, we receive that same victory. And we praise him and we honor him and we glorify him. That's a form of worship of our God because of that a certainty and understanding of what the scripture says. That's why we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. Sorrow that is why we don't have wishful hoping and wishful thinking. I hope I go to heaven. I, I wish to go to heaven. That, those words tell me that you, and it should tell you, that you do not have the understanding or the confidence of what the scripture tells you as a believer, or you're a non-believer. You're just playing religion. You're going through the routine you've done for many, 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 many years. It's just, I go to church. Why do you go to church? My mom and Todd taught me. When I was young, I went to church. My wife makes me go to church. My kids make me go to church. But but this is a personal relationship. Do you want to go and spend time with your Lord and Savior? Do you want to get to know who Jesus is? That's the question. So Paul's making a very clear emphasis of the fact that this is the word of the Lord. It didn't originate, this concept did not originate with Paul. It came from the Lord himself. As he says, who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, by, with, by no means precede those who are asleep. So Paul wanted the Thessalonians here, who are concerned about their loved ones, to know that those who are asleep, who already died as Christians prior now, who have died before Christ's return, will by no means be at a disadvantage from them who are still alive and be, will be raptured. Those who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means perceive them. God will allow those who are asleep to share in the glory of the coming of the Lord. It's very clear in the scriptures here. See, when we die, our bodies are going to be one of two things going to take place. They're going to be buried in a grave, or they're going to be burned in a fire a furnace. Now, when you take a look at that, it doesn't matter if you were buried in a, in a grave or you were burned in a furnace because it doesn't matter because the grave and the furnace do does the same thing. The grave, it takes about 37 years before the body disappears and, and go, turns to dust. Dust to dust, ashes to ashes, right? Well, with the furnace, it's done in 37 seconds. So it doesn't matter if it's 37 years or 37 seconds, the body's going to go back to dust ashes and dust. For me, I'm going to be cremated. Why? It's cheaper. (laughs) And two, I'm sure my two girls will love to have my ashes for the future. (laughs) Just saying, maybe, you know, they'll inherit something. (laughs) I chuckled. I told Kathleen yesterday. That came to my mind. I said, "Why why would What am I going to do with my ashes, Lord? What am I going to do with my ashes? I I know Kathleen probably doesn't want the ashes. I'll just say the girls will will want them. And I chuckled. I said, I'm going to say it tomorrow. And I I did remember it. I did remember. I should have put it in my notes to make sure, but it did come back to memory. (laughs) So our bodies are going to go into the, it's going to go into the ground or it's going to go into a furnace. And the soul and the spirit of you goes to heaven to be with Jesus. And when Jesus comes back to receive his church in the rapture of the church, the resurrection of the dead, apparently those who have already died prior to this will come back with him. In verse 14, we see those who have already died. We look in verse 17, notice in verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with what? With them in the cloud. So you and I, if the rapture happened right after we're done teaching, I can happen right now. If you, you know, I'm, I'm good with that. I've already taught enough. I hope you already know Jesus. Because this room will clear out. <laughs> if you're not a believer, you'll be by yourself. I, <laughs> and that would be a really bad thing. So I really don't want that to happen to you. But notice the fact. Immediate rapture. We will meet Jesus in the cloud, and we will also see our loved ones who knew Christ that already already asleep. You don't hear much of that, do you? You always say, oh, we're going to go see Jesus in the clouds. He's going to rapture us out. But how many times do you hear the rest of the scripture here that says that we will be with them? How about you? If you have a loved one that's gone before you, praise God, you're going to see them. Now, some people say, Pastor, will they know me? Will we know them? Will we recognize each other? Now, I say, if we recognize each other now in these sub-bodies and minds, imagine how perfect it will be that we will know them when we see them in the clouds. We certainly are not going to be dumber. Just saying. God will reveal so much more to us. And he'll bring so much clarity for us when we're raptured. I can't wait. Can you? (laughs) Soon and very soon. Them, those who have died earlier, will come back with Jesus to welcome you and I who have not died but were resurrected in the rapture, and we will see what the Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, will be among the cloud of witnesses. That's going to be beautiful, I can only imagine. Verse 16 we see another key thing here, and that is certainly. There's a promise that is given to us we can hold dear. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So we see here that Jesus Christ now sits at the right-hand side of the Father in heaven. Right? We know the scripture. Jesus will leave that position and he will personally come and the Lord, says right here, the Lord will dis- himself will descend and come with a sh- three things. Some believe it could be one thing, one, one sound. It could be the, a shout, it could be a voice, and it could be a trumpet and it's all in one sound. Or it could be three separate things. I lean toward three separate things. And when I study the language here, I see three different things because I believe it's just going to be one big party. right? And it's going to be all of this with the fact that there's this, this shout. This, the ancient Greek word here, when I look this up, of the word shout is the same word used for the commands that a ship captain would give to the rowers. Or a captain or a commander speaks to soldiers It's with authority is what it means. So when he returns, the Lord has going to have a voice with authority. The rapture will not be silent or secret. Though the vast majority of the people who are not believers, who are going to be left behind, will not understand the sound or sounds that they heard. Now why do I believe that? Because the scripture when you look in Acts chapter 9 verse 7 and Acts chapter 22 verse 9, we know that Paul heard the heavenly voice on the road to Damascus. He heard it as clear as can be the voice of God. But you know he wasn't alone. He had his his inner circle, his his other soldiers that were with him. And when his companions heard the sound of a voice, but they heard a sound, but not to uh, their understanding of meaning. All they heard is they heard something, but they could not make out the words. They couldn't make out the understanding of what was being directly, clearly spoken to Paul's ears, but their ears only heard a sound. And it may be well as in this situation where the shout, the voice, the trumpet is accompanying the rapture and it will have that same effect on the entire world who is left behind. They heard something, but then the people were gone. Now, when you see the shout, that's pretty clear in the the language. It's a a voice of authority, a shout of authority. (laughs) We're coming. We're here. Come on up. But the voice of the archangel, it's not that Jesus is an archangel. Absolutely not. The only description of archangel in the Bible is Michael. And we see that in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, and Jude 1, 9. So the archangel, I kind of lean toward the fact that the believers who already had passed and are in Christ, coming back with Christ... Why wouldn't the the archangel Michael be used to to be along shouting along with everybody else? So I lean toward that that there's there's a shout of authority. There's an archangel that shows the position of authority of the representing of the angels. But there's also the trumpet. And believers are gathered with the trumpet of God. We see that even in the Old Testament where trumpets sounded the alarm for what? war and also to cause panic among the enemy and then we see the seven trumpets described in the scriptures in numbers 10 verse 9 and revelation 8 chapters 8 and chapters 9 if you remember the seven trumpets Trumpets also sounded for the assembling of God's people. We see that in Leviticus chapter 23 verse 24. Chapter 23 verse 24 and Numbers 10 2. So we see as we study the scriptures and you see the word trumpet, you need to study the whole scriptures to see the occasions when trumpet is used in the scriptures and look at the patterns and understandings of what that means. Here, the trumpet of God gathers together God's people. That's why the trumpet of God. Do, 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 do. Come on up. We're ready to start. What an what a, what amazing moment that will be. That you and I, we only talk about in the twinkling of an eye, will be in the in the clouds. Somewhere in the atmosphere, we're going to be with our Savior and our loved ones who went before us. And in the time, we're going to hear a shout. You can imagine your loved ones shouting. Is that the shout? Or is it just the Lord's voice shouting? Ah, let's say all of you above. And a trumpet saying, I'm calling you home. Calling you home. Now there's three other associations of trumpets at end time events that I want to bring clarity here and I know I'm going to have to pick up the pace here because I really want to make sure we get all of these key things in here for you and those who are taking notes. One is the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians 15 verse 52 which it seems very clearly connected to the 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 trumpet that's being said here. The Here the last trumpet signals the close of the life of the church on earth. That's what it means. First Thessalonians chapter 4, with 1 Corinthians 15 52, that trumpet says the end of the church age at the time of the rapture. The others are the seven trumpets which culminate in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. And the trumpet gathering of the elect of Israel at the end of the age we see in Matthew chapter 24 verse 31. There are, the seven trumpet marks a climax in a progressive series of catastrophic judgments upon the living on the earth. That's what those seven trumpet marks as to the trumpet here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and the one mentioned in Matthew 24, 31, we can see two, these are two different things. First, the subjects of those two different teachings and the two different layers, our subjects are different. Matthew refers to Jewish believers during the Great Tribulation. But here in Thessalonians, it's referring to the church that's being raptured. That's why they're two dis- distinct. Why am I saying this? Because there's people out teaching that say that's the same. I'm I'm just going to help you clear that these are two separate events. The second thing is not only the subjects, but the circumstances. The Matthew account refers to a gathering of the elect scattered over the earth with no mention of resurrection. Here in Thessalonians chapter 4 refers to the rising of the believing dead. And the third thing is the results of these two different occasions here. We see the difference between them because Matthew refers to living believers gathered from all over the earth at the command of their Lord who has returned to earth in open glory. Whereas here in Thessalonians, it refers to the uniting of the the raised dead and with the living believers, you and I, if we're still alive, to meet the Lord in the air. So these are two separate distinctions. So be very careful as you're reading. And just because you see trumpet here and trumpet here doesn't mean they're the same trumpets. That's the same events. They're different events. That's why you need to study this. But Paul's point here in Thessalonians is clear. The prior dead in Christ will not be left out of either the resurrection or the return of Jesus for the church. In fact, he, Paul says, and the Lord says to Paul, They will be first. They will be first. It's only after the faithful departed, those who are already asleep or dead will be in their place with the Lord and they will come back with the Lord and say, surprise, rapture. What a great sound. It's like a birthday party, isn't it? But better yet, the scripture says, it's the groom coming back for the bride. And there are some, they're going to be surprised. And there's some who are already gone before who are going to know that the surprise is coming. And they gather behind, and says, and they get to push the groom. <laughs> Go get her. You know. And the people of the family are behind going, yes, going to, he's going to propose. Or, or yes, the groom is coming for the bride. You see the people behind, they know it's coming. I am excited, The fact, that believers ahead of time are going to know that God is, Lord is leaving his position on the right hand of the Father and coming into the clouds with them. They'll be with him to get you and I, if we're still still alive. What a great moment, isn't it? It's exciting because they will be first. Many wonder how the dead in Christ are raised first. That's a big question. How are they raised first? Some believe that they have they now have a temporary bodies and await their resurrection others believe that they are now embodied spirits who disembodied spirits who wait for the resurrection to get their new body still others speculate that the dead in Christ experience the resurrection immediately but there will become a day when, the, when God's eternal plan for the dead in Christ will receive their resurrection bodies. Yet until that day, we are confident that the dead in Christ are not in some kind of soul sleep or suspended animation. Paul made that clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Either the present dead in Christ are with the Lord in a spiritual body, Or awaiting their final resurrection body? Or because the nature of this timeless eternity that we know they have received their resurrection bodies already because they live in the eternal now? John 14 verses 1 through 3 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, and in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you and I will go and prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may also. I won't read it for time's sake, but go back and read First Corinthians chapter 15 verses 50 through 57. Uh, Mark read that in the very beginning, some of those scriptures. So I will not read that again, but go back and read those scriptures again. Because our physical bodies will be raised from the dead and transformed and linked back up with our soul. That's what's going to happen. Philippians 3 verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for what? For the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will what? Transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Our bodies are going to be transformed into these new bodies that will be just like Jesus and do all the things that he does. The transformation of the dead, the rapture of the church will bring about great comfort and hope for you because of the fact that we are going to have this new transformed body. Woo! Can't wait. And since God created us from dirt, He can put us back together again. He can recreate us into a glorified state. Now, many people don't even know the scripture and realize that man is from dirt. That's when women say hallelujah, right? Because you weren't made from dirt. (laughs) Men are dirt. (laughs) You know, men are just dirt. But I'm sorry, ladies, you were made for man. I'm not sure what's worse. (laughs) And as a side note, 1 Corinthians 15, 52, when Paul says the last trumpet, those think the rapture of the church is happening in the middle of the tribulation. Why? Because in Revelation chapter 11, that last trumpet is noted as well. So people see this last trumpet putting the link together of those two scriptures and say they're one and the same event and they're not. In Revelation chapter 11, the last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, happens in the middle of the seven-year tribulation, the 3.5 years tribulation point the 52 months the 1260th day that trumpet is referred to that time in revelation chapter 11 but this trumpet here in 1 Thessalonians is blown during the 7 year tribulation by I'm sorry let me say that again the in revelation that trumpet that's in the halfway point of the seven-year tribulation, an angel blows that trumpet, those seven trumpets, bringing about seven woes, or the seven bowls of judgment that is coming upon the world. Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 14, the last trumpet speaks of the church age, and in the, this trumpet is blown by who? By God. And brings not woes, but wow. It brings about a wow moment because now he has uh, all the church, all of the saints gathered with him. Two different events. Now verse 17, we're almost there, two more verses, here we go, two more verses. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air thus we shall always be with the Lord. So now we're receiving the rapture here. We're receiving this moment. This is what it is for you and I the church if we're still alive at this point. Those alive and remaining until this coming of Jesus will be what? We will be caught up. Key word caught up. To meet Jesus in the air together with the dead, those who went before us in Jesus, who have already been risen. They were first. Now, some will invariably ask or say the fact that, and I've heard this so many times, more than I, I had to ponder on it this week. How many times have I heard this? I, I lost count. But many times we'll, who do not believe in the rapture, and these are people who are Christians and church goers, do not believe in the rapture because they don't read the scriptures. Because they'll justify, and their argument is, Pastor, the word rapture is not in the Bible. You're absolutely correct. It isn't in the Bible. Neither is the word Bible. But you so use you use the word Bible all the time. But it's not that word's not in the scripture. It describes the word of god and we all accept the word bible as describing the word of god and we know in the scriptures when we see that paul's used the word caught up that when we take a look at that and you just spend some time around that in the greek term it means harpazo Harpazo is used 14 times in the New Testament, and it can mean to be caught, or catch up, or catch away, or take by force, or to pluck, or to pull. And that this passage in the New Testament doctrine of the, uh, the harpazo, we get the word rapture. Why? Because the word rapture is not in the ancient Greek. But it comes from the Latin Vulgate, which translates the phase caught up or hapazo as raptumur, or another word is rapturus or raptus, or, or, or raptus. Those words there is where we get our English word rapture. Are you following me? So when Paul's statement under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is very dramatic and very fantastic because he speaks of Christians flying upward in a moment of time, in a twinkling of an eye. We're caught up into the clouds to meet with the Lord, in the air, with our loved ones. And we would not believe that unless it was in the Scripture. And I'm going to. T- I hope I'm saying this right. And let me t- follow through in my train of thought because I'm trying to help those who have said I don't believe there's a rapture because I don't see it in the Scripture. Now I just explained what "caught up" means and where we get the word English word rapture. But if you don't believe it because the name is not in the Bible, and that's how you're justifying why you want to ignore the rapture, it doesn't pass the the logic test. Because if we won't believe this unless the Bible tells it so, it would be so true on other key points as well, wouldn't it? Not anymore would we believe that God became a baby. You would not believe that unless it was what? The scripture says so. God came as a baby. Well, the scripture says so. You have no problem believing that. Jesus did all these miracles. And you believe it. Why? Because it's in the Bible. He died on a cross. And he lives in us. How would you believe that unless you what? Read it in the scripture. So why when it comes to the rapture, the coming of Christ for the church, his bride, why won't you believe that? It's in the scripture. We're going to be caught up into the air. There's no doubt this event will take place, regardless of how you feel or think. But the timing of this event, chronologically, of God's prophetic plan is the matter of significant debate among Christians today. Many, with, though they are absolutely certain, without a doubt in their minds, they believe what the scripture says and how they read it, and they have a position they hold to. And they use the scripture to to back it up. Christians believe the Bible teaches that there will be an important seven year period of history before the battle of Armageddon. And a triumphant return of Jesus Christ, his second coming. And everyone believes that is going to take place. Because they read it in the scripture. The debate is not over if there's a battle of Armageddon. There is no debate over the fact that Jesus is returning. I mean, there's some fringes out there that don't believe it. But for the majority, believe it. But the debate is around the catching away, centering on when that will happen during, before, during, or after the seven-year period of what we call the Great Tribulation. And then this, and we see that also, obviously, referenced in Matthew 24, 21. So let me step you through. I know we're going to go over, but bear with me. This is so important. I need you to understand this. In the rapture, Jesus will literally lift his church to himself somewhere in the atmosphere. And we will be with him from then on, period. We do not know exactly when this will happen. But it will leave the earth without true Christians for a time. In contrast, the second coming of Jesus Christ will be a worldwide event seen by everyone in the world. The Bible specifically tells us that Jesus will physically come all the way to the earth 1,260 days after the tribulation event called... The abomination of desolation, which we see will occur in the rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem. We see that clearly in Revelation chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. In verse 3, it gives us specifically 1,260 days from when the Antichrist walks into that rebuilt temple and says, You will worship me. That's when the Jews flee because now the veils of their eyes have been gone and they realize they have been deceived. So we see that very clearly, but for unbelievers, this is not a uh, joyful moment. Because at this point, God's final judgment will be harsh and unexpected like a thief in the night. In the rapture, Jesus will come for believers, like a groom coming to get his bride, and Jesus will come to take his bride, the church, to enjoy what? Ah, the marriage supper. The marriage supper of the Lamb, and we see that in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 and 9. But in the second coming, Christ will come with his people to the earth to execute vengeance on the Antichrist. We will come with him, all of us come back to this earth. And judge the inhabitants of the earth, those non-believers who would not give their life to Christ during that seven year period of time. And set up his millennial kingdom. And we see that all clearly in Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 through 21. The rapture is sudden, unpredictable, and no one knows the day or the hour when that will happen. The second coming. It was going to happen exactly... 1,260 days after the abomination of desolation. So this 3.5 years after a distinguishable point in tribulation period of time. Jesus will come back to the earth to end the rebellion at Armageddon. And bring final judgment. And Paul called that final judgment here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, the day of the Lord. There are four primary points of view on tribulation. You have the pre-tribulation rapture position. Believes believes believers uh, are caught up before this final seven-year period. It's at the start of the 70th week of Daniel that he talks about. Others believe in a mid-tribulation rapture position. And these believers believe that their believers are caught up in the middle of this seven of uh, this this final seven year period of time right in the middle at that 3.5 years of the seven some believe in a pre wrath rapture position believes believers are caught up at some time in the second half of the final seven year period and finally and in his very popular Uh, you'll find, and many around here may have gone to other churches who teach this, the post-tribulation rapture position. The believers are caught up at the end of the final seven-year period. They believe that you as a believer, you as the bride of Christ, will go through the wrath of God. We do not believe that here. My opinion, my position, and the position of this church believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. We believe the scripture is very clear to support that pre-tribulation rapture that we will be taken out before God himself brings judgment upon the people. That he would not judge his bride. (laughs) That wouldn't start off a marriage very well, would it? (laughs) Husband, go ahead. Judge your wife-to-be. That would go really well. I don't see it. So we take a pre-tribulation position. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 shows believers are waiting for the return of Jesus. Their hope was in an immediate return, wasn't it? Paul says, Jesus is coming. Get ready, Jesus is coming. And if they believed there was going to be a wrath and judgment, would they have that same sense of comfort? if they are going to go through tribulation and be judged by God would that bring you comfort no it would not bring you comfort 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 13 through 18 assures those believers who died would share equally with the living of the events of the rapture and the resurrection there was no fear in the fact that Christ was coming back there was no disadvantage because if there was a disadvantage if the rapture was happening after the tribulation, well then, those who went before us are in a much better position than we were. Why? Because they didn't have to go through the tribulation. They would have, we would be going through the tribulation. That would not be anything good and noteworthy you would tell them. You who have already asleep. You already have died. Your loved ones are going to go through tremendous suffering. Why would that be good news that Paul would share? He wouldn't. But do you know the good news? (laughs) When the rapture happens, we shall always be with the Lord. We'll always be with the Lord. Whatever the state of the Christian, if you're dead or alive, all of us are going to see Christ coming. And we'll always be with the Lord. What a great reward of heaven to be with Jesus. Death will not break the unity in your relationship with Christ. And death will not destroy the relationship with other Christians. There will be a true unity in Christ. And lastly, verse 18, Therefore comfort one another with these words. That's a requirement. That's not a a try it if you feel like it. The scripture here is a, a commandment. Therefore, based on this truth, comfort one another with these words. Now notice the scripture how it says that. It says Paul does not say here, tell them to take comfort. Take comfort, my brother. No, it doesn't say that. It says to give comfort. To give comfort in the way God works. He always receives, we receive, always receive comfort as we give it. As we encourage others, we are also in courage. When we comfort others, when we give comfort to others, we receive comfort. And we don't do it with our own words, with our own opinions. We can only comfort and encourage with what? God's words. That's why he says, Paul says, with these words, the truth of the return of Jesus for his people, Christ's coming, the rapture, this is eternal union with Christ and his people for absolute eternity how could that not bring you to comfort encouragement in your walk as a Christian there's only one reason you don't believe to the g- degree that you should believe A. you don't believe at all that would be the worst case scenario or you're So you need to mature more as a Christian and in your understanding of who God is in the Scripture. And you must, I I want to encourage you, read the Scriptures daily. Listen to the Scriptures taught daily if you can. This is where I put the shameless 96.9 FM plug in for you. and listen to the solid teaching of verse-by-verse teaching. As you read verse-by-verse, be taught verse-by-verse, Hear a little, there a little, and watch God mature you so that these words of the rapture, of the soon-and-very-soon moment event will bring great comfort to you if you find yourself in a dark valley Or if you're suffering physically, you're going to get a new body. Or mentally, you're really, things are not settling well. Spiritually, you feel very dry. Whatever the state you find yourself in, find comfort in these words today. Amen? Jesus is coming back soon.